a podcast we did not want to do today, but excited as always, because we're we're sad. I'm Kevin. This is Verbal Tap. I'm here with Raph Esparza. Raph, how are you? I'm good. We um, also all things considered. Yes. Oh, okay. I thought you were taking another bite of cookie, so I was going to jump in. No, uh, I'm not eating a cookie. Listen, I, based off of our show today, it seems wrong to not be eating a little bit and enjoying my life as one should. Uh, but why don't we get to who's on here, and then that'll make more sense. Mark Shipper, uh, a friend of the podcast from way back, I'm okay person from Chicago, here to chat with us. Mark, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing great. Even better after that introduction. That was amazing. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I mean, okay person from Chicago is like a, a fair compliment. Mm-hmm. We we have gathered to pay some jujitsu, some fat kid, some people that ultimately dream about just traveling the world to eat and drink and do this. Like that's the three of us. That's a dream to honor fallen jujitsaka. Am I using that right? Anyway, mm-hmm. no, that's not right. Perfect mm-hmm. jujitsu fighter uh, Anthony Burdain. <laughs> Mark, you had the chance to train with him and talk to him a little bit and did a great interview, dnainfo.com. You can find it. Search for the Anthony Bourdain. Uh, give us your impressions, your thoughts from someone that got to, to chat with him, spend some time with him. He was different than I thought he was going to be. I'm actually working on a piece. It's kind of a, a private piece right now. I'll put it up on my website. I, I, I will let somebody publish it if they like it. But uh, one of the things that... I remember most of him not being how I thought he was going to be. I'd seen him on TV, and I thought he looked a little bit like an arrogant, tall New Yorker who was uh, a fairly cocky guy. He's got that long, gated walk. He swings his arms, his head's held high, and he seemed like kind of a smartass. And uh, I heard he was coming to train, and I didn't really think I was going to like him all that much. Just another New York guy in here who thinks he's better than everybody else. And uh, he turned out to be not that way at all. I'm I'm very happy to say that I was completely wrong about him, and uh, he was he was a personable guy, and he was very easy to start a conversation with. And do you mind? What did you think he was going to be like? I'm curious because you also have some mm-hmm. ego, and we can already hear your Chicago like this guy thinks he's better than us. What did you expect <laughs> previous to the meeting, and what what changed? Well, the funny thing is, is I'm not from Chicago. I actually don't have that second city complex at all. It's just kind of a New Yorker thing. You know, sometimes you meet New Yorkers and they're kind of brash. You know, I thought he might be the kind of guy who didn't want to talk to the common people. He'd showed up at our academy because he wanted to learn from our chief professor, Adam Redzevic. He'd watched uh, an open guard video online and he said, I want to learn from this guy. So he just basically called and said, can I come train? So I thought he might want to, uh, you know, put his D on in the office and, uh, you know, no, don't make eye contact with me. I'm here to learn from Adam. And uh, you got anything to say, leave the leave the wisecracks to me. I thought he just might be a little bit of an arrogant, aloof guy who wasn't interested in talking to the people who train at the academy. He was there to see the professor, and uh, he was he was the opposite of that. He uh, It was funny. The first time I trained with him twice, the first time he was there, he was uh, behind me working with somebody, and it was kind of like a line of people. We were moving through a drill, and uh, he introduced himself to everybody. He said, hey, I'm Tony. Nice to meet you. And, of course, everybody in the room knew exactly who, who he was. Everybody's eyes were bugging out of their head, and they were starstruck. 
And uh, when somebody looks somebody in the eye and says, my name's Tony, and shakes their hand, that gives you a pretty good idea of the, the kind of ego they're carrying around, which is to say he wasn't, he didn't bring one into the academy. Had you ever seen any of his episodes? Did you ever, like, I, I'm just trying to figure out where the vibe is where you go, this douchebag. <laughs> well, this was, I, I actually didn't watch a lot of his stuff, and uh, I'm definitely not the first person to say Anthony Bourdain looked kind of like a D-bag from a distance. I mean, that was uh, an argument I'd heard against him many times. So I watched some of his stuff. I read part of his book, uh, Kitchen Confidential. And uh, I just kind of, I kind of saw a guy who I thought came with a rap. You know, when I'd hear him tell his stories, it's always, oh yeah, I was a cook in the hard scrabble spots. I lived a hard life, sous chef. Afterwards, I was out in the tough neighborhood scoring heroin. And I was a bad boy, man. I thought he was kind of in love with his bad boy uh, image. So that's kind of the impression I had from him. And actually, after he trained with us, I really went back into his stuff and started watching his shows and read more of his work. And uh, like I said, I found out how wrong I was. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to harp on the fact that you were wrong uh, for too long. So we'll we'll transition to this. I'll tell you where my introduction really let's do a tight, goes. Let's do a tight 25 on that. Let's just stick with that. I don't disagree. I think he might enjoy it. He really goes nice. This is just solid roasting because uh, I feel like he would cop to the. I mean, anyone that's witty has probably upset people in passing. Uh, speaking I mean, from personal experience in Spring Hill, Kansas. Go ahead, Ref. I'm not exactly sure what your guys' um, introduction is, but I know for sure he was somebody I would watch on TV. And when I watch a host. I try to see how personable they are. I try to see how they narrate. I try to see what their strengths are. And I felt like he had a very different style in terms of connecting with people, being willing to go to different places. Um, selling books is one thing because you need a hook. And I'm sure that's part of everybody's narrative. But I think he found a way to get past that narrative. And as you find with so many people, as they stick around for a long period of time, at least you hope they will, he grew, and I feel like he became a better host and a better uh, TV personality as he was continuing to go on. But none of that really mattered to me. He was just somebody on TV. It wasn't until I met Atavia Bourdain that I even remotely started to understand what his connection was to jiu-jitsu. When you got the opportunity to actually interview him, I'm probably figuring that at this point you've figured he's no longer a douchebag. But what is it that like to, to really get to talk to him and and to get the opportunity to really meet somebody in a different way who lives all these very different lives on a weekly or monthly basis? Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm not sure why we grabbed on so heavily to a mistaken impression about a man. It, it happens. But you're right. By the end of that class, in the piece I'm writing, I, it actually changed almost instantly because there'd been rumors he was going to come. I'm writing for newspapers. So I told the newspapers, there's a chance Anthony Bourdain comes and trains with us today. And if he does, you know, I'll play society call on this for a day. I'll, I'll ask him if he wants to chat for a few minutes, find out why he's in town, what he's up to. And uh, we'll just do it that way. And uh, so I heard he was coming. I walked down the locker room. I took a right turn in and there was Anthony Bourdain standing there, half naked in his underwear, tall, skinny, pulling on a gi. And, uh, it was a, kind of a surreal moment. It was like my eyes bugged out. He knew. I knew who he was. He had no idea who I was. And uh, we made a quick introduction. Immediately said, hey, how are you doing? Made eye contact. And we chatted for two or three minutes before we went up to class. So by that time, I had already dropped about half my impression of the man that I'd made from a distance. 
Like I said, in class, he introduced himself to everybody. He uh, took his beatings as a 59-year-old white belt will, <laughs> uh, even with people going easy on him. Did they? Because uh, you got to, class, right? Had... Like, can I just do a quick, I want celebrity <laughs> treatment if I'm a 59-year-old white. If, if that, if I'm any sort of anywhere, uh, we're not there yet. But at that point, I do think you got to give him celebrity coverage on the jiu-jitsu, right? Like, at least somewhat. Yeah, yeah. I definitely did. Uh, some people, I think, had some some other some ideas. You know, people get views. weird stuff like that happen. So, <laughs> so he had a, he had a mixed he had a mixed experience, but it was all in good fun. I mean, it was it, it, nobody had any beef. It was just a the, the point is it was a regular jujitsu class with Anthony Bourdain in it. So yeah, by the end of the class, by an hour and twenty minutes later, uh, I was I no longer had had any. Uh, my impression was out the window. I thought this seems like a good guy. So the thing that really cemented it for me is uh, I now had to ask him to stick around after class when I knew he had a busy schedule in Chicago and talk to me for 15 minutes. So right when I asked him, I could tell by the look on his face, he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to stay. He had his bag packed. He was kind of pointed towards the door. And uh, I just, I, I played the card. I can only play when I mean it, which was very sincere. And I said, it would mean a lot to have a conversation with you here. And uh, I'd love to do this piece. And he just looked at me and he said, all right, let's do it. We went to the back room and he was very gracious with his time. I actually felt bad by the end of the 15 minutes. I was like, you got to get out of here. You got to go. He would have stayed and chatted longer, but, uh, you know, I cut the interview off. So to answer your question, to talk with him, it was just great. It was an informal, we sat on the blue mats. He was leaned up against the wall. I was sitting cross-legged kind of in front of him off to the side and uh, just talked about, we talked about training. We talked about New York and Henzo's Academy. We talked about food and it was a, it was just like a buddies after class sort of conversation. So it was, it was informal and it was, uh, it was a nice chat looking back on it. I'm really glad I got that opportunity and, and uh, played that card, you know, to get him to stick around. There's always the stuff that ends up on the cutting room floor when you interview people and you yeah. great. You had a really nice cross section of talking food and him appropriately making fun of deep dish uh, pizza um, but of course, that's not all you talked about. Are there things that you're willing to share that maybe you didn't include in the article that you were looking to that maybe just didn't fit? But were there things that you you talked about that you kind of wanted to put in there, but maybe you just didn't? You know, I I can't remember specific details right now. I could try and find that transcript at some point and see if there was anything. Nothing, nothing um, earth shaking that didn't make the piece. It was just kind of chit chat about jujitsu itself, about, you know, training and, you know, what are some things you do to, to stay on the mats and some, some stuff about food, some small talk, nothing earth shattering happened in there. So I can't really bring anything specific, but it was just, uh, it, we were talking on the same subject that made it into the piece. Well, you're kind of bypassing this, but one of the things that I think that your article did that I don't know how many times he was quoted as saying elsewhere, but this is one that resonates with me. And he says, jiu-jitsu is a problem-solving exercise that really appeals to me. And it's a steep learning curve that I know I will never reach the end of. I know I won't be a black belt ever in my life. But my goals are to suck a yeah. little less at this every day, to get a little better every month, and to keep having as much fun as I am. It's a challenge, and I like that. I've seen that quotation uh, being used a number of times uh, for different things, but I feel like a lot of it stems from that article. And I feel like so many people, if you really want to get to the crux of what made him uh, special to us in our sport, because a lot of people can lay claim to him. He's uh, huge in the food industry. He's huge. He's an Emmy winner. 
in the entertainment industry. Uh, CNN basically gave him the opportunity for a bigger budget and to do his show for a larger audience. But we have a nice little claim to him because of how much he loved what we did. But I think if you really want to understand yeah. what, what the crux of why people love him, you can look into something like that. And unfortunately, he will not be a black belt. Uh, but I think the process of that is something that's instantly relatable. Is that something that you found even in the reaction when people started sharing the article? Because it went viral and people shared it because they wanted to know the mystique of what it was like to train with him. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up. Actually, I love that quote and I love that he said that. And it's part of the way I thought about Bourdain and the reason that I liked him is because he, he thought like jujiteros, that's the proper phrase. Thank you. Think. But <laughs> Sounded you, more you right. Are actually, <laughs> you are actually the only one who's, who's ever asked me if that was something people brought up. So no, nobody did. The, most of the people who I saw who shared that piece and wanted to talk to me about it were people from uh, either food websites or food-based magazines or electronic publications. So uh, no, they kind of skipped over that jujitsu part, but I, I love that quote. Well, it's similar to something that, I mean, I tell people, I have a, a similar thing where I mostly tell people it's fun to train with people. It's fun to do this experience. Uh, when you're not a professional athlete and you're training with professional athletes on a number of occasions, you feel a number of, um, like humble good fortune that it kind of oversees. Like you think to yourself, why am I training with the Michael Jordan of the sport? You know, why is Hickson giving me a private on breathing? Uh, why is uh, Gary Tonin showing me the finer details of a heel hook? You know, sometimes you get those opportunities that you don't know that you're ever going to be a part of, but you it resonates with you. So for him, he was training with, with Henzo and their team so much uh, to the point where even – you know, John Danaher very quickly put out a statement recently, and everybody seems to say his soul is what spoke to them. And I feel, and I don't know, yeah. maybe I'm, I'm overstepping here, but for Kevin, when he was about to do his episode for Jiu-Jitsu for uh, Parts Unknown, I actually got a, a note from somebody asking me if I wouldn't mind doing an article on it. And I said, absolutely. I, I wouldn't get the opportunity to talk with him, and I didn't want to push it. I just figured he's one of those people where if we're meant to meet, we're meant to meet. And I just tried to encapsulate, in my opinion, what made him so unique. And I felt the thing I always came back to was, as we have with so many celebrities who do jiu-jitsu, is you hope, first of all, they're cool. But when you know they're cool, then maybe you start to ask yourself, well, why are they doing this? And for him, it became not just an obsession, but one that was close to him for his family and one that he could really harp on with getting obsessed like we all do. But I guess the thing for Kevin that I'll ask to you, Kev, when you heard he was passed uh, or he had passed, what were you thinking? Like, what was your instant reaction? So two things. Uh, one, a recovering addict and someone super vocal about being a flawed human being and trying to battle that and explaining it in a battle. I mean, you even get a little bit of it in Mark's piece. I, I really enjoy that. And he was vocal about jujitsu sort of helping that. So that was a massive bummer to, to see him sort of 
struggle. And not everyone's built to live on this planet for 75 years, 100 years. It's, it's selfish on our side. But that was my first. My second, I am massively bummed because I'm talking to two other egotistical jujitsu players on this podcast. And there was always part of me that's like, I'm getting older. There is every reason I could see Anthony Bourdain at a tournament and get the chance to hear him beautifully narrate our match. Just that's going to upset me that I, I don't get to hear that. And there is what I was. Mark, here's my only I want an insider question here in terms of spending an hour with him, because you said he was really humble. Um, and I understand that, especially when you go into a different jujitsu academy. It's like going to a church you've never been to. It's just really a lot of stress. Yeah. Was he at least funny, though? There had to have been a few shots or a chance where he was like, Mark's half guard stumbles awkwardly. The smells of a beautiful faux <laughs> restaurant just down the block have started to catch my attention. Like, that's what I just give me a little bit. Was there some of the funny? Because he's a funny guy. Yeah. Well, you know how sometimes you can tell people are funny, but they you're you're bum they didn't get the opportunity to show it off. You felt like that around him. He always had a kind of smile on his face or it looked like he wanted to make a wisecrack. But like you said, you're in somebody else's church, the sacred mats, and I don't think you want to say much. But I actually, in this piece that I told you about that I'm working on, I have uh, – I'll share the second anecdote at the end just because I want to say it because it's a great jujitsu. Uh, it's just a great jujitsu little story. But one thing he did say that was funny is uh, I found myself standing next to him like towards the end of the class, and we were doing some positional sparring. And uh, we have a professor named Idris Redzovic, and he is a powerful guy. And his side control is some of the tightest, heaviest side control you will ever feel. And uh, he was, Idris was uh, just giving it to one of his training partners, and he was setting up this bread cutter choke from side control, and it was just going to be a savage tap out. And uh, I kind of uh, unconsciously, like, kind of groaned and was like, oh, God. And uh, I saw Bourdain looking at him in the corner of my eye, and I saw him, and I said, yeah, that's Professor uh, that's Professor Idris' side control. And he looked at me, and he said, I don't think I want the Idris' side control. And I said, no, <laughs> you do not want the Idris' side control. No. And we kind of both looked at each other in a smile and just a little laugh and just moved on. But the way he said, I don't think I want the Idris' side <laughs> control, was a very sly little remark. And it was like, no, believe you me, you don't. You don't want to be under there. Nobody wants I'm, the Idris side control. I'm sure that it's oh, uh, similar in the vein of which he uh, he despised uh, combining soy sauce and uh, wasabi with his sushi. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, that's the charm of it. And I think that's the secret that when we really talk about it, and part of the reason we want to do this show is because, yes, he was special to us. Clearly, so many people are affected by it. There's larger issues that we'll get to in a second, but... I think the the main reason of when you look at somebody and why they appeal, for us, you want those clever people, you want those cool people who are going to represent the sport, but he, I think he had a very cool wit about him, and for me, like I said, I just said, you know, if, if I'm destined to meet him, you know, you kind of say, maybe that'll go, and those circles will, will combine, and Otavio's been a huge supporter of us at, at the Verbal Tap, and, uh, you know, you feel for her and her family, and uh, for all of the the folks who are connected to uh, to Anthony, I do wonder this though. What is it that you feel, or why is it that you feel that so many jiu-jitsu individuals, aside from him just doing the sport, because anybody can do the sport, but why do you think he connected with so many people? 
Is that for me? Yeah. Um, why he connected with so many people worldwide or why he connected so many people through jujitsu? You can answer which way, because I mean, here's the important thing. I think we know that most of the times we have so few people in jujitsu that sometimes we go, Ashton Kutcher seems like a cool guy. (laughs) Uh, but it's more than that. You know, I know people who train with other celebrities and they speak okay of them. They speak well of them. Um, yeah. But there is something special in terms of what Tony would have with people where you would ask about him and there was always the utmost, I want to train with him. I have trained with him and it's exactly what you think. And to the professional athletes, it, it was, I've trained with him and he's a cool guy. Yeah, I, I think there are a couple things i think there are a couple of things there uh one the reason i think people connected with him overall is he told people stories and he told them well he showed i think he showed a lot of people the world and when you do that with food as your delivery system that's essentially a cheat code in my opinion food is the great uniter so i think when you show people the world when you show people other people's cultures and that you shouldn't be afraid to go experience them and not only that, there's good food waiting at the other end. I think that is almost a universal theme. So anybody who saw him anywhere could say, I want to go there and I want to try that. Um, culturally, culturally, I, I think he spoke for the right things. He was kind of a – listen, I, I, I put this tweet out. I'm just going to read it because this kind of says a lot of why I connected with him. I'm going to miss Bourdain as a brother in arms against the greedy, clueless psychotics running this country and all of the (laughs) careless people who never think about other people's struggles. Bourdain never hesitated to speak up. He was a proud enemy of MAGA. And in a time like this, it hurts to lose somebody who wanted to bring people together rather than bring them apart. And then on the jujitsu end, it's that quote that you brought up from the piece, which is uh, he he wanted to be a little bit better each day and acknowledging that he was starting from a lowly spot. And I think that also resonates with a lot of people. People want to be better than they are, and they want to aspire to be better in the future. So I think all those things, I think he stood for a lot of things that a lot of people uh, would like to have in their own lives. Very well said. And I want to tack on one more fun part of this in terms of a fearless voice and also told it as it is because i'm reading a part here and my favorite quotation especially as someone uh, frequently trying to come back eventually once i could handle the warm-ups i started joining classes <laughs> so uh world travel ego aside you know it's about dragging yourself through through these things and he did it and he did it with empathy and that's what you sort of hear from from all three of us i think in this podcast and you know, was fortunate enough to uh, date the right woman that somehow tricked him into going to a jiu-jitsu class, <laughs> uh, which is, uh, again, another... I know, that's amazing. I think um, there there are two, there are a number of my friends who, who have put wonderful things, and I, I hate to be foolish enough to just single out just two of them, but there are two that I think that really resonated with me. Um, one is from my training partner, uh, Brian Singer, 
who uh, I didn't ask for permission to read this. He can take it up with me later, but here you go. And it says, Anthony Bourdain and I started training in 2014. I was 41 and he was 58. I remember watching this interview with Charlie Rose as one of the older guys and could totally relate. He summed up the life of a white belt perfectly. The incremental tiny satisfactions of being a little less awful at something every day. And he says you will be greatly missed, fellow blue belt. But this one, in a different sense, speaks to more of the cultural aspect that we were talking about. And this is from a comedian by the name of Jenny Yang, who's very funny, just amazing. She said, Bourdain never treated our food like he discovered it. He kicked it with grandma because he knew that he was the one that needed to catch up to our brilliance. I wish so much for his legacy to take hold in Western, mostly white food media culture. What a loss. I'm so sad. I think that speaks to two very different groups of people who could very well get behind him. You know, obviously the jiu-jitsu folks, we love the people who train with us. But I also like the fact that other cultures, when you go there and you ask questions, and much like you in your culture of going to your gym and not trying to be a star and impose your celebrity upon things and, and strike conversations that resonate and that are real, I think you leave a lasting legacy. So... When you really speak about <clears throat> the idea of what does this all mean, uh, you know, you don't know how long you have on this earth. So you really want to make the most of it. And I think when you look at what he's left behind, he's left us years of really, really good, good television. Uh, a lot of exposing people to different ideas, concepts, food, um, cultures, obviously. But... Um, before we start to sign off here, I would like to ask you, do you have any lasting thoughts? And if you plug your article one more time, I'm going to I'm just going to lose it here. I've mostly Mark. plugged his article, but I will let him plug the next article. We will. That's no, accepted. I mean, I'm not talking about that article. I'm saying his upcoming article. I don't mind oh. talking about things that have already happened. Oh, you like the past keeps, one. You don't no, want because the he does one. this thing Got where it. he's like. Oh, hey, I would tell you guys, but I'm writing something. And it's like, well, great job. <laughs> Someone tell so BuzzFeed to just get the man. Except what, except what did I do, though? What did I do? I shared, I've, I've shared multiple pieces, parts out of an <laughs> upcoming piece. So that's how highly I think of you guys. You can't help it. Yeah. It's his, it's his passionate side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mark, mm-hmm. give us your, your sort of final <laughs> thoughts. And thank you again for uh, joining today to talk uh, a somber. But... I don't know what speaks out to you of the shows. Anything specific memory wise? Yeah. Give us maybe just hatred of deep dish. Well, let, let me say this: <laughs> I, I'm not a big deep dish guy either. Like I said, I'm not from Chicago, so for me, that deep dish was a big surprise in its own right to me. Um, yeah, I'll say I'll say just a couple of quick things. Is uh, one is I was amazed at the amount of people we have a little chat group at our academy with some good friends, and uh, man, there was a lot of sadness this morning. Uh, I got a text very early in the morning about the suicide. And then I got uh, four or five more from people I'm not always talking to. So it hit a lot of people. And uh, we kind of, we've been going back and forth with some kind of, we've been in our fields a little bit, you know, just talking about what he meant and what about him we're going to miss. So he made an impact and uh, what he did, his shows in terms of their universal themes and the place he places he went and the, the issues he discussed because he talked about, you know, genocides and cultural strife and wars and how people repaired themselves. I think his work will endure like a good book. I think you'll be able to put his stuff on in 25 years and find it just as fascinating as you did when it aired live on TV. So I think he did great there. 
And then the one other thing I want to share is uh, just the last anecdote from the last time I saw him at the academy and the last time I had a chance to train with him. He'd just been promoted to blue belt. The first time I met him, he was a four-stripe white belt, uh, very enthusiastic. Uh, a couple weeks after he left, Henzo gave him his blue belt. It was famous in jiu-jitsu circles. Everybody did an article about it. And uh, he showed back up, and he was wearing this blue belt. And I walked in this time. He was already upstairs on the bench, and he had his blue belt on. And uh, we had uh, we made eye contact, and it was clear he wasn't going to pretend like he didn't remember me. It was like, oh, hey, here you are again. Let's train. So I sat down next to him, taking off my shoes, and I said, looks like you got a little color since the last time I saw you. Like, like you'd say to somebody who got a tan. And he just kind of smiled looked at me and said, yeah, I did. And I said, you know, how does it feel? Does it make you nervous? Bigger target on your back now? You know, is it going to change your training? And he just looked at me and said, to be honest, it feels really fucking good. <laughs> and uh, that was basically the end of that conversation. And uh, I love that because in jiu-jitsu, you get what you earn. And he was training hard and he loved to train, and he'd accomplished something that he felt he earned, and that blue belt meant something to him. And uh, it was a sincere moment, and I was glad I got to share it with him. Well, Mark Shipper, DNA Info, you can find his first article and his uh, RAF earmuffs. Upcoming work also to be featured, I presume, in the New York Times, if they still have any well, sense. They could really use some better <laughs> opinion writers over there. Uh, just one man's opinion. Thanks for swinging yeah. by the podcast today, sir. Where People can let me uh, hold on. I just had your uh, Twitter handle. It's uh, something about my pros. Nope. My Times pros. Got it. I almost said my. Yeah, pros that's times. it. Come see me on Twitter. Or go beat him up in person. He might interview you after. So, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I definitely will. Mark Ship. Raph, your, your dream, you would replace Letterman, um, right? Like, that's kind of, you, you want to do the the late night side i would love to get that conversation i think someone has replaced him you but... know what i'm saying no, yeah, I no, know what no one's replaced let's <laughs> i love stephen colbert <laughs> love it no I think, one's i think they did him. that handoff of the baton and i missed it uh don't bring it up anymore it's fine i'm not bitter or anything like that um i don't have a show i mean i have my show but i don't have a network show anyway this isn't about me okay but my point this is, is about that's people. that's like your one a I think yeah. mine might be to host a travel food show where I get to do jujitsu and eat <laughs> at different places. I'm not sure I want any more responsibility than that, especially Dude. since the narrating afterwards. It's like, oh, yeah. that's genius. Let's just get footage. <laughs> I'm going to get wrecked. And then we'll spruce it up when I come sober for three to five days. To be very blunt, though, Kev, I I know we mentioned the episode, but we didn't mention as much as we should have in terms of him just saying, yeah, I just told them they have to do an episode on jujitsu. I forced them to. So the balls on this man to tell his network, yeah, I don't care what you're interested in. I'll give you all these other destinations, but I'm going to San Francisco because I want to go do this fun thing with Kurt. <laughs> I, hold on. I want to tell you, that does take brass because he chose Kurt Osiander. Not right. the world's <laughs> network is friendly. Like, love him. Of course, they got along, and it was like, that's who I'm picking. But I mean, CNN was been like, 
is there anyone else? Like, we have this lovely Gracie that doesn't swear. And it's just like, nope, I'm going with that guy. Okay. I'm pretty sure everybody at all of CNN said, I know one person who does jujitsu. And it could have been anybody else. And they would have been far more cookie cutter. But for him to say, no, it has to be him. And he was very uh, direct and succinct about that. But yeah, that seems about your speed. You love eating. You love uh, training. And to get the opportunity to go fly around to different destinations and interact. And a lot of the stories that I did hear was that he kept training gear with him and would go uh, to specific places. I mean, it's not unlike what I try to do whenever I have to go cover somewhere. I'm already looking to try and train when I'm going out for EBI. And that's just down two hours south. And I don't have his money or CNN's money, although I am using verbal tap money. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, Kevin, not the point. The financial department's almost done with the Cavs series when they get back. (laughs) But I think to your larger point is that would make a very good career for you because um, it found a way. It shows a path to combining all of your passions. And we're just uh, jealous. He's a dreamer. He got to talk. I mean, it's just so unbelievable. It's such a good idea, I guess, is my point. It's like once people are like, I want to invent Apple. It's like the guy is a travel. Like, it's just such a cool empathy based. And he did it well for a really long time. And I still love his. I mean, I watch Parts Unknown on Netflix pretty frequently. I was excited when they started coming out again. So just a a massive loss to, you know, a little jujitsu artistic side corner of, of the world that had some good conversations and introduced us to some awesome food. So Raph, any final thoughts as, as we roll out, uh, we just wanted to do a quick remembrance and joke around a little bit. Cause he didn't seem like he was someone that liked to dwell on the sadness outside of the times he had to. So we're going to remember him fondly. I mean, he's like you said, just the, ability to look back on his work is is a massive plus for how much quality television exists from what he did and that's a that's a huge legacy so yeah i mean uh, my thoughts are pretty uh i mean it's sad to think of it ending like this um you mentioned something while we were talking with mark which was the idea that not all of us are built to be a certain age and there is a certain kind of um, unexpectedness to this. I don't think anybody would have. I mean, nobody. That's part of the shock of it all is how it happened. And I don't think any of us really, even if we tried to, would know why. And I feel like those are barometers of things that we kind of, um, you know, you can make assumptions. You can try to figure out, put yourself in issues. But I don't think any of us really would understand. And I think that's where. The teaching moment of all this or the the takeaway is this man had an incredible life, lived multiple different types of styles, lived it well. And to think that even as well as he was living his life, that he could still be so pained and um, and truly, truly hurt to this extent. So before we get to the, you know, this isn't obligatory. This is important. And it's weird to think that he would need that sort of uh, friend or something could have helped him. I, I don't know. I don't think any of us know. But we do know that there are hundreds, millions of people out there who are affected 
by depression, who are affected by multiple things that hinder their quality of life or uh, just things that, that make them human. And I know there's a lot of talk, and here's the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Uh, it's 1-800-273-8255. Um, that's important. I, I think that's really good for people to help echo it. But I think part of the reason why we wanted to do a show here today is for this mere fact. And we touched upon it where we say, oh, he's one of the ones we like. And, you know, you hate to think it, but there are some celebrities where people get so cynical and they don't like them for some reason or their music didn't connect with them or they just really hated that one movie or appearance. But I think with Anthony Bourdain, it is my hope that we can use the fact that he was some great ambassador for food, for culture, for art, um, for TV to make the case that it doesn't just begin with someone reaching out and making the call themselves. Sometimes they aren't capable of doing that sort of thing themselves. Um, it really does connect on being as good of a person to other people. And if there is that takeaway, know that it can't necessarily save them, but it can very much help them in their situation. So whether it's calling that National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, if you ever feel that you are overwhelmed, uh, that is 1-800-273-8255. In Espanol, 1-800-628-9454. And uh, the crisis text line is you can text it. You can text 741741. So for those reasons alone, I would tell you guys this. Um, it's difficult. It's hard to hear. But the reality is so much more clear that when you have your time and you don't know when it's done, make the most of it. Be as good as you can be to people. Celebrate it so that when you do depart, you do leave these kind of memories that people like Mark or other people who rolled or those like my friends uh, like Brian who I distinctly remember feeling uh, very overwhelmed when he first came to do jiu-jitsu with us. You, you have those heroes um, that you can look up to or the guys who are older and competing and said, man, did he go win that blue belt tournament over in New York? I think the quality of his life for so much of it was very influential and positive and you can only hope that you can have that as you go on but use the case of this guy who was likable as a teaching moment to know it affects everybody and just hope that the time that you do have on this earth that you can be cool to those people and so many so many more um by being just a good person i guess i guess those are my thoughts that will do it for a somber celebratory in life episode of verbal tap good night and rest in peace the number you have dialed has been changed
The new number is. Please note the new number is. 